Welcome to the Lend Academy podcast, episode number 260. This is your host, Peter Renton, founder of Lend Academy and co-founder of Lend at Fintech. Today's episode is sponsored by Lend at Fintech USA. The world's largest fintech event dedicated to lending and digital banking is going virtual. It's happening online September 29th through October 1st. This year, with everything that's been going on, there will be so much to talk about. It will likely be our most important show ever. So join the fintech community online this year, where you will meet the people who matter, learn from the experts, and get business done. Lend at Fintech, lending and banking connected. Sign up today at lendit.com slash USA. Today on the show, I'm delighted to welcome Andy Ratcliffe. He is the president and CEO of Wealthfront. Now, he's also a somewhat of a Silicon Valley legend. He co-founded Benchmark Capital, which has been one of the most successful VC firms in the Valley back in the mid-90s. But he since has moved on from there, and he co-founded Wealthfront just over a decade ago. And wanted to get him on the show because I feel like they have such an interesting story to tell. And you know, the movement from just offering wealth management services to becoming more of a fully-fledged fintech platform with uh, with digital banking offerings is is interesting and you know Andy's very passionate which you'll see in this interview we talk about their new their new checking account offering called Wealthfront Cash uh, we talk also about what his vision means when he says self-driving money, how that's actually going to work. And uh, he doesn't share everything about it, but he gives us uh, certainly some insight there. We talk about their fascinating credit product uh, called their portfolio line of credit. Uh, we talk about the fintech space more generally as far as other digital banks and uh, what the future holds for Wealthfront. It was a fascinating interview. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Andy. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. So you, uh, you have quite an interesting background and one I know is, is familiar to many, many of us uh, in, in fintech. But why don't you just get started by just giving some of the highlights of your career to date? Well, I was a career venture capitalist. I spent almost 25 years in the venture business, the last 10 of which I co-founded and was a partner at, at Benchmark Capital. I retired 15 years ago from the venture business with the intent of focusing uh, my time on, on social good. So I uh, started teaching at Stanford mm-hmm. Graduate School of Business, where I've been teaching for the past 15 years. I became a trustee at the University of Pennsylvania. My wife and I started an innovative cancer research funding initiative in partnership with a foundation called the Damon Runyon Cancer Research Foundation. Mm -hmm. And as part of my work at Penn, sitting on the Endowment Investment Board, which I now chair, I came up with the idea for Wealthfront. So it was quite an accident. Okay. So then just tell us a little bit about that then. The the story, I mean, Wealthfront has been around for for some time now, over, over a decade, I believe, or about a decade. So what was the, what was the aha moment or the, what was the impetus to start Wealthfront? Well, as I said, it was an accident. I was sitting in a Penn endowment meeting, and I think that the premier university endowments are the best managed pools of capital in the world. 
most people don't know how they invest because they don't have access to managers who invest like them or financial advisors. Mm -hmm. And when I saw that what they did, a lot of it was manual and spreadsheet based. And I thought, God, if you automated this, you could democratize access to it and bring it to the masses. And this was something that was, that had hit me because over my years as a venture capitalist, many of the people that I had recruited in my portfolio companies who went on to financial success by virtue of their companies being acquired or having gone public would come to me for investment advice. And I could never tell them to do what I do because they couldn't afford the minimums. Right. So right. that's how we got started. It took a little while before we found product market fit. And fortunately we did. Okay. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that journey? And cause you started off really as a wealth manager, robot, robo advisor, and, and you've, you've pivoted or you've, you know, you've moved into a broader area. Like now I would, I, I see you talking about digital banking a lot and we're going to talk about that here. So was it always the plan to, to move into a broader kind of offering or, or how did you, you know, tell us about that pivot? Well, I wouldn't call that a pivot. To me, a pivot is when you don't have product market fit and you iterate on the market okay. in Fair order enough. to find what I would call it an expansion of the vision or an expansion right. of what we do. Mm -hmm. Now, we happen to jump all over that change because we seem to have hit a nerve. So let me go back for a moment and just give you a little bit of background. Okay. I would describe Wealthfront as a next generation banking service that helps young professionals manage their money. We're specifically focused on millennials who save, people who are 25 to 40 years old. That's uh, for whom we have built our service. We do this by providing a high interest checking and low fee investment management service all through a five-star rated mobile app. Now, the vision for the business is to automate all of your finances. We call this self-driving money. Mm -hmm. And so what I mean by that is that we intend to make it possible for you to direct deposit your paycheck with us, we'll pay your bills, and then route the remaining money to the most appropriate financial destination, depending on your situation and goals. So we started with investing. We thought there was a lot to be done there. As the vision became more and more clear about automating all of your finances, we realized that we needed to have a base account into which you could direct deposit, right. but we needed to offer bill pay and checking and all sorts of other services on that account. But to get to market more quickly, we just launched the high interest cash account last year, and it took off so quickly that we decided to go all in on that and focus on that first and use investment management as an add-on service versus banking as the add-on service. Mm -hmm. Okay, yes, because I noticed when I, I travel around the web and I've been on your website a bit in the last week and uh, I see the ads coming up and the ads are all about the bank account. It's all about- uh, Because that hits more of a nerve. Right. People hate their banks. You know, it's funny. Banking is one of only two industries that has a negative net promoter score. Right. The other one is cable. <laughs> right. People don't hate their investment service nearly as much. But what we find is if you join us as a banking client, the odds are you're going to just on your own use our investment service as well. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So then, I want to I want to talk about self driving money in a bit, but I want to dig into something you said the other day, which really surprised me. And we were talking on our on our Leonard FinTech Digital uh, community, and you said that you had you know, roughly I think it was four hundred thousand customers, but to, to to service those customers. You have, you said 12, I don't know what you called them. You didn't call them customer service people. We call them product specialists. Product specialists, okay. So you have, you have 12. Now, I think any bank out there that uh, would have 400,000 customers would, would have a multiple of 12. It certainly, certainly would be probably in the hundreds. So how is it that you can offer, which, you know, let's face it, a banking product is not, it's, you know, it can, it has some complexity. So how are you able to offer that sort of service with just 12 people? Well, first of all, if we can't automate a service, we don't offer it. We think long and hard about what features we're going to deliver and make sure that we don't deliver them until it's fully automated and it's simple and easy to understand and convenient. So once you do that, that eliminates a lot of the problems. And then we've taken a very, very different approach to customer support. Rather than hire low-cost people in the Philippines, we hire very, very capable people. As a mm-hmm. matter of fact, because we started in investment management, all the people that we hired are licensed as financial advisors. Now, they don't give financial advice, but they're very, very capable people. We have chartered financial analysts. We have CPAs. Wow. We have licensed financial advisors. So these are very capable people. And we ask them to spend half of their time focused on providing technical support in the other half, trying to figure out what is it about the product that needs improvement in order to avoid getting that phone call again. So their job is to, is to design themselves out of a job. Interesting. Now, the nice thing is we never have to fire anyone because we grow so quickly that all we do is we keep adding the number of clients each one serves, but it's not a burden. As a matter of fact, we believe we offer radically better customer service than anyone else with that really low ratio of reps hmm. to clients. And we offer radically faster access. So at the height of, of shelter in place, if you called us, you would get a rep in 10 seconds. Wow. Now, I tried calling Wells Fargo Bank to close an account. And I, every time I called, I was uh, given a message that it was going to be three hours. Wow. <laughs> so by, by A, automating, and by B, focusing on what created, what was the root cause of the outreach from the client, and designing that away, you can offer radically better service and with, with much more talented and capable people, and you need a lot fewer of them. Right, right. That's super interesting. So then, can you give me an example of, of something that you that was a pain point for customers that you that you sort of automated away, or you changed, you added some kind of offering to make sure they didn't call in? Well, uh, it happens every single day, but I would say that the the most common theme is speed. Right. Every time we make something faster, we get rid of customer emails and. Right. calls. So for example, uh, a few years back, we used to, with the AT, with, uh, when you electronically transfer money, the client has the right to, to pull back that money 
and say that they made a mistake. Now, as a result, most brokerage firms require a three-day wait or longer before they release the funds mm-hmm. because they want to make sure that the client doesn't transfer the money to you, the money gets invested, and then they pull it back. That would create a risk. So most brokerage firms will not invest that money right away. We relied on a, used to rely on a third-party brokerage firm to act as the broker for our clients. We ended up bringing that in-house, and by doing so, we were able to uh, reduce that time from three days to one day. That probably got rid of 30% of our tickets. Wow. Isn't that amazing? amazing. When you transfer securities, it used to take nine days on average to electronically transfer securities from one account to another. We reduced that to five. Again, Mm -hmm. the number of, of tickets went down. So whenever there's confusing language in the product, making sure that we simplify it, even if that means taking away functionality, Simplicity usually wins. Right, right. Okay, so I want to go back to, to Wealthfront Cash, your bank account. And the big challenge I always, I always see it is, you know, there's, there's obviously many offerings now from fintech companies with offering bank accounts, obviously in partnerships for the most part with, uh, you know, with existing banks. But what the big challenge is, is getting your customer to, to direct deposit their, their payroll in there. You know, how, how do you make this... How have you been able to get your customers to to make that switch? Well, number one, you have to provide differentiation. And we're we're by no means done. Uh, We shipped our first checking features on top of the high interest cash account on June 29th. Okay. And so that included direct deposit uh, where you can actually get paid two days early. Number two is we allow you to pay your bills and friends from the account. So you can use things like Venmo and and Cash App. And we give you a debit card so you can immediately withdraw cash from an ATM or spend via the the debit feature. In another couple of weeks, uh, we'll have mobile check deposit. Every few weeks, we'll keep adding more features. We'll very shortly thereafter offer the ability to uh, send checks. So by the end of the the first quarter, we will have a superset of the features of all of the other uh, online checking accounts. Mm -hmm. So no one will have more features than us. And I would say the major differentiation to all the basics, the major differentiation will be number one, we can pay interest on our checking account. Other people require you to have a savings account on which you get paid interest we pay 0.35% on your checking balance. Mm -hmm. That required extra development, which is why it took a little longer for us to bring out those services. Now, taking a little longer to get paid in your checking account was important for convenience. And it also set up our self-driving money functionality, which is now in beta and which will roll out at the, start to roll out at the beginning of September. So the two things that will differentiate us are number one, actually three things that differentiate us will be number one, that we pay interest on your checking balance. Others do not. Number two, we can automate your finances by routing the money around from that account and get it to where you need it to go immediately, where there's typically latency in the system, in the banking system. That's how banks make money is on float. 
And number three, a delightful experience. You know, our mobile app is the highest rated app in the Apple App Store, that highest rated financial app. Hmm. So there is a difference in functionality or usability among all these apps. Right, right, for sure. So, so then I'm, I'm curious, you talk about making money and I know Wealthfront, obviously, with the investing, you make basis, a few basis points on assets under management. How, I mean, I guess for the, for the bank account, are you looking at this as a, a separate business line where you intend to have, you intend it to be profitable or is this more of a, a you know, like a, a, a way to sort of maintain, you know, a closeness with your customers? Well, we think about, we don't think of these as separate businesses. It's funny, the number of investors who've talked to us seem to think of it that way. We mm-hmm. think of it as a relationship with our client. Mm-hmm. And we look at the profitability of the relationship overall. Uh, we earn money in a number of different ways. We earn a little spread on the interest rate that we pay to our clients. So we earn more than 0.35%. We keep that spread. If our clients use their debit cards for purchases, we make interchange revenue on that. That's the way all the other challenger banks make money. Mm-hmm. We lend money. We have the fastest, simplest, and cheapest way to borrow with our portfolio line of credit. So we make a net interest margin on that. We earn an advisory fee on our investment services. Over time, you'll see us offer more and more financial services. In each case, because we only deliver products that we can automate, we have a much lower cost to deliver those services, and we always share the savings with our clients. Right. So that's something that you'll always get more value from Wealthfront accounts than you will from anyone else. Mm-hmm. I, I want to talk about this uh, portfolio line of credit because I, I was looking into it and it's, it's super interesting because it seems to me you've got one of the lowest cost credit products on the market. I mean, I think it was like two and three quarters percent of what it's... 2.6 is the lowest. 2.6. Yeah, 2.6. So that really... For for people who have wealth, and obviously it's you know you've got a, it's it's an asset backed loan because you've got the you've got the you know the deposits there. So I guess I'm I'm curious about that product. Like, do pe- are people using this for margin lending to increase their investments, or how are they using it? They're using it for short term cash needs. Okay. So people pay them off incredibly quickly. So you can't use it to leverage your Wealthfront portfolio, we put in place some limits to keep you from doing that. So it's really, it's most often used for things like, I need to make a down payment on something, I need to exercise my stock options, I need to uh, buy a house, and I need the cash quickly, but I don't wanna generate, uh, recognize gains in my investment portfolio, or I wanna pay taxes. Mm-hmm. So we always see a big surge around uh, quarterly estimated tax times. Right, right. And people pay them off generally in less than a month. So that's mm-hmm. good and bad. It's really good for our clients that they pay it off. We make a lot less money because they pay it off so quickly. Right, right. Sure. Okay. So, and then who, what, what bank are you working with on these, on, on Wealthfront Cash? And what, well, we work with Green Dot as the right. enabler of the checking features, Okay. But we also broker our deposits out to 10 different banks that pay the high interest rate. So we have to work with multiple parties and coordinating the settlement of all that is where the secret sauce is in, in making it 
a more capable and enjoyable service. Right, right. Okay. Okay. So I, w- I want to talk about self-driving money because this is something that I'm fascinated about. And I believe this decade, we're going to see some really major advances in, uh, in automation uh, of, of financial services. Mm-hmm. So you've touched on it. I guess the, the question, well, what's the barrier? Do you think it really is a, a trust with the customer? Is it technological? What's the barrier for really wide adoption of you know, self-driving money right now? Well, I think that uh, you have to figure out which market wants it first. You know, this Mm -hmm. is the challenge of product market fit, something uh, that I have spent a lot of my career focused on. For the last 11 years, I've taught a course at Stanford. I was actually the guy who coined the term. (laughs) Okay. And, And so I've taught a course on it for 11 years. And what most people don't realize is that you don't iterate on the product, you iterate on the market. So figuring out who wants it first, and using that as the beachhead into which you launch into adjacent markets is the challenge. So part of our intellectual property is figuring out who needs that first and marketing to them, and then uh, over time, broadening the market for it. Right. So, so unfortunately, who, that, that I'm not willing to share because I don't want to tell my competitors where enough. they should start. It's taken us a long time to figure all of this out. Okay. We'll, we'll be watching carefully <laughs> because for me, I mean, I, I look at it and think it's just, a, it's just data. It's just a data play. All the information is out there about whether it's, you know, whether it's investing on, for a savings account, whether it's paying down your credit card debt. You know, whether it's, you know, asset allocation, I feel like all the information's out there. Well, it's a simple matter of software. Right. Making it all work. It is. There, there are certain people who are more inclined to be early adopters than others. And so what we've figured out, what we believe we figured out is who they are and we serve them first. And then over time, what we find is that the, the more sources uh, and destinations for that money that we can support and the faster that we can make those transfers the more people will like us the more they'll tell their friends and we'll grow organically so do you think then by let's just say by the end of the decade that we will have a substantial number of people whose you know financial lives are automated for the most part and and an ai engine at the back and the background is making good decisions for them. I mean, what, well, it, it doesn't like? necessarily have to be AI. It can just automate what you're already doing. Mm. A number of people, I think that's part of, of how you, you solve this, is that you don't have to apply fancy techniques. If I can just automate the mundane tasks you currently go through to move your money around to the most appropriate place. This is why... I have said over and over again that we serve millennials who save, which we think represents maybe 20% of the 90 million millennials in the United States. We're not going after all millennials. For example, I think Chime has done a superb job serving the unbanked and people living paycheck to paycheck. Now, they don't have multiple accounts. They don't have this problem. So they will find absolutely no value in self-driving money. Mm-hmm. In having an, you can think about having an, an electronic assistant that takes care of those mundane tasks of moving your money around. But someone who's saving money 
typically has an investment account and they have a bank account. They might have a mortgage. They might have some student debt that they need to pay off. So taking that off of their hands so that somebody's doing that for them, there's tremendous value in that. Right, right. And would it, would it, it would also extend to the potential, say, you know, that um, they could refinance, say that the student loan, like interest rates have gone down, they could refinance their house, refinance their student loan, and, and those sorts of things will also happen? Of course, but we wouldn't just do it. We would ask you. Right. And so that's how we build trust, yeah. too, is first you have to show someone what's possible and then ask them if you would like us to do it for you. Right. right. Think of us as an assistant. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Okay. So we're running out of time. But, but an assistant get... that can do things that your assistant can't do, <laughs> like moving money immediately. Right. 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 Got it. Got it. So then, you know, you, you've mentioned Chime already, and obviously there's a, there's a lot of there's a lot of companies in the digital banking space. That, None of uh, whom are differentiated. What, what yeah. amazes me is they all offer the same thing. They all appear to offer the same thing, with, which is a very thin layer of software on top of an infrastructure provider. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. haven't really done much. That's why you know I, I refer to most fintech companies as big fin little tech. Okay, so you you feel like your differentiator then really is the technology that you've, that you've put in place is the the investment we've made in product. Over half of our employees are engineers. That's not true of any other fintech company. Right, right. So how, how big are you guys today? How, like how many employees do you have? Two hundred and twenty. 220. Okay. And then what about, do you, do you share your AUM number that you've uh, like that, the, the total we amount? Pub- the, the last time we published it, it was uh, something on the order of uh, $19 million, billion. Okay. Okay. It's, it's up dramatically in the last. Uh, Excuse me. Two it was, it was on the order of $15 billion. Okay. 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 Still up dramatically. But in the that's, last couple that years. doesn't include the cash deposits and sure. we don't yet share that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so then where, where are you on the journey to, to profitability? You know, that's always a choice. I think that uh, had we were on a path that we could have gotten there this year and we chose to focus to prioritize growth over profitability. Mm -hmm. So I think that, uh, that that's probably been pushed out until next year. Right, right. Okay. And do you, do you feel like, I mean, I'm curious about the profitability metric because it seems like that, you know, we're in this page where, you know, you, you, you've got a background in the VC community where there's, there's still uh, large amounts of money being thrown around to some of these, uh, some of these you know, fast growing, you know, digital bank uh, or fintech offerings. Do you, do you see that, putting on your VC hat for a second, is, is that, do you think that's, a mistake not to have uh, you know, to really focus on growth so much as you know because some of these some of these companies really have uh, are a long long way from it seems like from a pathway to profitability. You know, it's funny, Peter. This is a, a question that comes up every time there's a financial crisis or every time there is a recession. Mm-hmm. Uh, we once did an analysis for a blog post that we wrote a number of years ago to determine what's the, what's the primary driver of the valuation of a company. And it was really clear that by far the number one driver of the valuation of a growth company is its growth rate. Mm-hmm. Actually, the rate of change of its growth rate. Mm-hmm. Is the growth rate increasing 
saying steady or decreasing. Number two was whether or not the margins were increasing and everything else was a distant third. Right. So as long as companies that have declining growth rates generally aren't worth very much. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, you have to pair that with a steadily increasing margin. Right. Okay. Because that's, that's, I think, the knock on many of these digital banks is that those, uh, the margins are not increasing there. Or they don't. Ha- well, I think a number of them are just trying to prove whether or not they can get a direct deposit and then they'll figure it out from there. Right. 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 Okay. Okay. So then looking out over the next uh, 12 months, what are, what are you and Wealthfront uh, mostly focused on? Well, what we're focused on is, is building out the self-driving money functionality. Number one, completing the checking features. And by the way, checking features are a commodity. Right. So by the end of the first quarter or so, as I said, we'll have a superset of what everybody else has. There's not much more that one can do in mm-hmm. that regard. Mm-hmm. What we can do is pay higher and higher interest rates. And uh, that's we're working hard to try to be able to do that. Think about it. You're more likely to trust us and leave your money with us if you know we can immediately get it to another financial institution immediately. Whereas if it's going to take us three days, which is more the norm, then you're going to be less likely to move your money over to this new institution. So there's a long way we have to go uh, in terms of enhancing our ability to automate your financial life. Okay. Okay, Andy, we'll have to leave it there. It's fascinating. I'll be following along uh, your progress with great interest. Uh, I appreciate you coming on the show today. Thank you very much for having me. Okay. See you. You know, Andy and I were chatting after we uh, stopped hitting record there, and he, we were, he was lamenting the fact that so many fintech companies today uh, are not producing new products, not producing enhancement to products in a quick enough fashion. He feels like there isn't enough emphasis on the technology side of things in fintech. I thought that was an interesting take because I think if you talk to many of the CEOs, they would argue that they focus tremendously on tech. And and that's, you know, so obviously that, that matter is up for debate. But where he says is it should be it's an acceleration of new enhancements coming out on your products on a regular basis. And that's what they're committed to at Wealthfront. And really, it's going to, it's going to be so fascinating to see how the, the traction they get. It's only, it's early days with their checking account. The traction they get with self-driving money, as I said, I've, uh, whether you call it autonomous finance, which is uh, what some people call it, self-driving money, this is the decade where it's going to happen. And it is going to be fascinating to see who are the first movers here and act that actually get adoption into this more automated way of managing your finances. Anyway, on that note, I will sign off. I very much appreciate you listening and I'll catch you next time. Bye. Today's episode was sponsored by Lend at Fintech USA. The world's largest fintech event dedicated to lending and digital banking is going virtual. It's happening online September 29 through October 1st. This year, with everything that's been going on, there will be so much to talk about. It will likely be our most important show ever. So join the fintech community online this year, where you will meet the people who matter, learn from the experts, and get business done. Lend at Fintech. Lending and banking connected. Sign up today at lendit.com slash USA.